I'm here today with Aileen Dailene, who is the who is an ethno, ethnomusicologist as well as the as well as the course director for Irish music studies at the University of Limerick. How are you? I'm great, thank you, Amir. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And uh, I guess the first question we can start off with is: Could you explain your background for us, please? Sure. So as you said, I'm an ethnomusicologist. So that means I'm sort of somewhere between an anthropologist of music and a socio-musicologist. And to make that even simpler, what that means is that I'm interested in all kinds of music makers, why they make music and why that should be important. So you can imagine the, the social aspect of this is huge for me. The technical aspect is too, but in the end, I'm interested in the bigger questions around society. Yes. And um so uh, again, uh, I was just really, I was just uh, I was reading up on you, and you know, you've mm-hmm. had the pleasure of studying, you know, in America and studying, you know, uh, uh, different places around the world. So, uh, like, uh, how did you come about? How did you come about studying in in America, like specifically uh, Chicago? Um, well, so I did my undergraduate BMO's Bachelor of Music, and then I did an MA, and I realized that I really wanted to get better at this discipline called ethnomusicology. And the reason I did was. It was the study of musics of everyone. So it didn't just look at Western art music. It just looked at all kinds of cultures and periods and times. And I just think this is a great way of understanding society better. And in the United States at the time, they had a number of really good programs. And uh, when I went to visit Chicago and interviewed there, I realized that the students were really critically engaged and really bright. And I knew I could, you know, benefit enormously from being amongst them. But the other big, um, I guess, uh, box I needed to tick was I wanted to look at um, the Irish diaspora. So people of Irish heritage or affinity heritage and in the United States context, because that's what I wrote my PhD on. So I wanted to be somewhere where I I could be out in the city, engaging with people who um, perform or listen to this thing called Irish music. And in a way that connects actually with my interest with protest music, because so much of Irish music is about uh, colonialism and post-colonialism and uh, subjugation and, um, you know, historical responses to to being disenfranchised. So um, it wasn't just the songs, it was also the music. And I'm a performer myself. So it also allowed me to, you know, play in bars and pubs five, six nights a week and do field work in a very kind of concentrated way. So I looked at four four places in the States and uh, three offered, but I chose Chicago because uh, just extraordinary place to study with amazing, um, amazing ethnomusicologists like Martin Stokes and Philip Bowman, who taught me so much actually. Yes, and uh, I just wanted to follow up on that. Studying in Chicago, mm-hmm. did you find that there was like a Irish community there? Because obviously America is known in certain places for having Irish communities. Uh, was Chicago uh, that for you? Absolutely. Um, And I mean, that was one of the reasons why I chose that urban centre. I could have also gone to somewhere like San Francisco, which is a much more contemporary um, Irish community. Chicago has a very uh, well over 150 years of generational uh, Irish going to Chicago. And it also had a a very vibrant present um, tradition. I think you could say the same about Boston. You could say the same about New York. Um, So it was that marriage of a really rigorous education in an area that had this music because there is no such thing in the same way as protest music as one kind of Irish music. Um, It's it's an Irish music imaginary that lots of different people are invested in in very different ways. And my study was pretty much about that, actually, trying to get into the nitty gritty of uh, identity and meaning and representation and why the weight actually this kind of music carries in terms of nostalgia and politics in particular, and these days, very much tied to my protest work, uh, 
in some cases, white nationalism. Okay. And um, so obviously uh, you've answered it uh, a bit before, but I just wanted to ask again. Mm -hmm. So uh, initially, what made you interested in protest music? And also, and, and sorry, just add on to that as well. How would you define protest music? Yeah, so so if I take the definition first, um, in a way, I think there isn't any definition uh, because any music can become a type of protest music depending on the context in which it's mobilized. But I mean, very obvious um, operational definitions might be it's the music or the singing that accompanies an organized protest in whatever form. And so it animates it and helps people march and sing in solidarity, whether that's at a union strike or whether that's a Black Lives Matter march or or, or whatever it is. Uh, you also have artists who create socially conscious music because they want to critique something in society. Um, and I remember one of the earliest songs that really impressed me was a song by Paul Kelly. He's an Australian singer songwriter who was very um, influenced by Aboriginal land rights issues. And so he's got a song, your, your listeners can check it out on Spotify from Little Things, Big Things Grow. And it's actually about the man who started the land rights issues in um, in Australia to bring about reconciliation. So that, that was one of those things that really sparked my interest because these narrative songs captured these extraordinary historical moments where everything changed. But equally, there are songs that um, are of the moment that can help us change or predict society. So that's that's how it started in a way. And as I said, coming from Ireland, you're very conscious of kind of post-colonial tradition and of course of the ballad protest tradition great singer-songwriters like Christy Moore. And more recently, my colleagues and I have done work on Damien Dempsey, who's done protest song on um, Occupy Dame Street. It's like Occupy Wall Street or neoliberal um, agendas, you know, critiquing that economy as versus society. And I guess all of these things came together uh, when in UL and University of Limerick, we held a conference in 2015 and we invited people from all over the world to come and kind of present on songs of social protest. And suddenly you realize there's so much out there. Um, and I've been pursuing that ever since. And uh, we've now a newly established center for the study of popular music and popular culture. And one of our huge strands in that is protest music. So look, you know, how do any of us get involved in these things or interested in a way? can go right back to my parents too very much about um, equity and social justice and truth and speaking truth to power uh, I have a very brave mother in that respect um, and so you know even though I perhaps wasn't very woken to these things when I was growing up in 80s Ireland which was quite um, poor in many ways it was uh, you know we we're in the middle of a massive recession everybody was emigrating to the UK or the US or Australia to get jobs uh, as I moved from my kind of homogenous experience to newer experiences I began to see inequality everywhere actually and uh, yeah I guess I'm in a position now where I can study these things and study how uh, and research how music is so central to their expression Yes. And and again, the very well answer that I just wanted to say as well, also, um, now we're in the social media age, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of things are shared via social media and, you know, people can like record things, make videos. And you're speaking mm -hmm. on social justice. How does protest music, like, how would you think it links into social media? Like, do you think it plays a role? Oh, absolutely. Because in many ways, okay, so social media can be shut down, as we see in various parts of the world where governments don't want people to be exchanging these things. But in any protest from the umbrella uh, movement uh, to, to whatever, um, one of the ways people mobilize is not just through 
in social media telling each other to meet and rally, but also in the passing on of lyrics, for example, or in the creation of TikToks or in uh, the, the um, yeah, this kind of movement where we become, I guess, in a way, a hive mind and pass these things on to each other. And of course, there's a certain type of democratization with social media as well, assuming one has access to a mobile phone. And most people do. I don't assume everybody does naturally. There's also, you know, people who are outside that sphere, but you have a mode of production and you have maybe in many cases, if you need it, anonymity, because it's all very well to be a protest singer or a producer of protest content. And by the way, I want to underscore, I firmly believe protest is a right for any, uh, in any legitimate democracy, that it's not something that has to be tolerated. It's actually part of a democratic process. So it's trickier for people who are not within those democratic processes, but social media is a way of doing it underground, of doing it overground, of connecting, um, of creating content. I mean, uh, one of the things that's so interesting these days, we talked about what are the definitions of protest song, right? It's not just protest song, it's also protest music. I did an interview recently with Helen Barrett in the uh, Financial Times in London, and she had talked about how there's such a move now towards techno. So no lyrics, no narrative song, just a boop boom, boom of the beat, which of course is quite tribal and primitive and gets you motivated and gets your pulse up and is very somatic. But it also has all of those associations with Detroit Sound, with Black Lives Matter. So, so, you know, people can create, people can generate, people can exchange, people can add, they can make playlists and um, they can record, of course, the protest movements as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think social media is critical. But of course, it's also been um, shut down. And equally, we have to be very discerning and learn the difference between um, what's actually happening and what is m massively mediated or, or even um, changed. And that's the tricky thing, of course. Yes. And so uh, obviously you just clarified, obviously, like, like, like any, any legitimate democracy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, protest should be obviously allowed. And, and that's true. And I was just saying, how do you think protest music like fit into society in the, in the sense of, yeah. yeah well, I think it's crucial. I think it's a crucial part of it because look, all peoples of this world have, have some form of music or dance. They don't necessarily differentiate terminologically between those. We, 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 we tend to do so. But uh, so, and music and dance are forms of social life. They're so, forms of creativity. They're forms of commentary. They're forms of historical record. Um, Jacques Attaï says they actually can predict where we go in society. So if you're saying how important is protest as one of these, I think it's absolutely critical where you need a platform or a forum to challenge normative ideas or to challenge where you see things are, are are going astray and are going wrong. The ballot box is another place, of course, but but that's a very private place. Um, it's an individual space where you go in. This, it's the social solidarity, the collective, um, what did Emile Durkheim call it? The collective effervescence of coming together. I think it's crucial. And with the rise of right-wing politics, um, again, I mean, we see these peaks and troughs, um, I think it's more important uh, than ever, because how do you how do you enact and move in unison? Music is one way of doing that. How do you change mindsets or make people think more deeply or critically? Music recorded by artists is one way of doing that. Now, 
it's open to be misconstrued as well. You think of Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. You know, when he wrote that, he was commenting on the treatment of veterans post-Vietnam War. But then he upped the beat of it and Born in the USA, and people saw it as this kind of celebratory anthem for being American. So one has to really be careful about the context, the message, and also, I guess, uh, understand that um, things can be co-opted. And, you know, music isn't all positive either in the sense that it can also become part of the propaganda machine. Yes. And, 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 and leading on from that, obviously, you know, you've lived, you've lived, in, you've lived in America on an island. Um, mm -hmm. How, like, what, which country would you say has the, has, the more, has the more prominent protest music scene and how does it differ from one another? It's, it's difficult, you know, I'll have to speak in broad sweeps here because I wouldn't have studied those kinds of things extensively. But if you were to look at immediate differences, I would say that the, the protest in the US tends to be based on uh, racial lines. So it tends to be very much coming out of the um, African-American traditions of protest coming from slavery right to the present. And so it's, it's it, no, it's much more sophisticated than that, but that would be a huge a part of the genre. And nowadays also to do with land rights, especially with um, indigenous and with native Americans, um, perhaps, in the pop realm in America, there is some stuff um, around um, ecological sensibilities and around uh, wage, but far less so. If you look at Ireland and as it might relate more to towards the UK as well and Europe, I think a lot of the protest is much more class-based and it's much more um, a working class-based and also based around um, particular types of disenfranchisement around um, land and also maybe around uh, wages and, and, and unions. Um, now these things are shifting all the time because you look at somewhere like Ireland, its population uh, demographic has shifted enormously since the 90s, uh, but you can't import the model for protest music or Black Lives Matter protest music directly into Ireland. It actually takes on its own form and there are other allegiances with, for example, travelers who are an ethnic minority in Ireland, a white ethnic minority, but come under the Black Lives Matter banner. Um, so, so I see intersections and I see influences from both, but largely speaking, I think it has been about uh, nationalism and post-colonialism and working class in Ireland, and much more so about um, race um, and uh, indigenous rights in, in the USA. Okay, and so obviously, you know, You've been uh, researching, like uh, obviously, you've been researching protest music for for a long time. And what do you envision the future of protest of protest music being? Like, how do you see it, like you know, uh, carrying on in the future? Uh, do you think, as you were saying before, do you think governments might, you know, start to crack down more? Or, like, how do you see the future going? I mean, I think um, there are places in the world, and this has always happened, where uh, you can be arrested and put in jail for being a protest singer. Didn't that happen in Spain recently? Um, this, this happens in many places where you're not allowed to um, express your dissent. And so there are uh, some singers who take um, huge uh, hits uh, in their lives for doing that. Um, I think in you know established democracies, that's not the case. So I think you will always have the protest singer who is a professional and who is out there uh, uh, performing what Paul Kelly, that singer songwriter mentioned called message songs or socially conscious songs. The challenge for some people who are in the industry is that they don't want to be tagged as just protesters and nothing more um, uh, because they might feel it, 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 it uh, cancels their creativity in some ways. But then you look at somebody like Billy Bragg, who's been doing this for a very long time and doing it really successfully or Rage Against the Machine or many, many bands, you know, um, and punks. I mean, the whole 
point of punk is to rage against um, uh, the establishment. So will it continue? I think as long as <laughs> something to protest against, it absolutely will. Um, COVID has had an interesting impact in all of this because, of course, we haven't had live gigs and you don't have that feedback that you necessarily need. Uh, and of course, people haven't been really marching. Uh, largely either. So uh, will it dis disappear more into the virtual realm? I think it will definitely be found there. But again, those typologies of protest songs or protest musics, when you have a collective of people, you need something that is affective, that go bypasses cognition in a way, goes deeply into your body, into the somatic level, and that maybe, you know, just unite you through this unison act or you sing songs that capture previous protests and remind you it's worth it. Um, I think they will absolutely continue. Um, I think the youth of today are given a very bad rap. I think they're very politically conscious. I think uh, they're very critically engaged. Um, I think, you know, it's been a tough time and I think uh, you, we will constantly see people push for a fairer and more equitable world and in a way, Protests will only get bigger because unless we take care of this planet right now, we're doomed. So intersectionality, racism, sexism, all of those things we protest against, they'll all completely come into the ecological uh, and the climate as well. Yes. And uh, also, uh, you said something that I found interesting. Uh, you, uh, you said how, you know, the, the youth of today get bad rap for like their knowledge mm -hmm. on, on social issues and, th and things such as that. Do you think that um, the youth of today, uh, in, in terms of like their knowledge on, on social issues, differs from, you know, maybe like 10, 15 years ago? Like, do you think it's... It yeah. Well, it, it, that's a good question. So I've been teaching a first year undergraduate uh, module called uh, Critical Encounters with Popular Music and Dance for, for quite a while. And um, I actually now find uh, students more engaged rather than less. I think, um, you know, the kind of the 90s into the noughties into the 2010s, while we had, of course, a global economic crash, um, I think a lot of that generation now are coming out of a very uh, 10, 15 years of, of very tenuous uh, existence. And they would have seen lots of things in their lives that may, maybe might ask questions about. I also think maybe they mightn't have the strongest sense of history, but we shouldn't um, uh, always uh, cut them down for that. Let's just teach history. Let's make history interesting through things like punk and social protest. And this year, you know, I was teaching students online from their bedrooms. Um, it was very difficult for them and they ended up producing some of the most amazing work, uh, TikTok videos, protest songs, blogs, uh, that, that made me realize, you know, they, they, they're awakened uh, to this. Now it's gonna differ, obviously, these are privileged uh, kids because they're in university, they're able to be in university and, and I'm very conscious of that. What's happening um, in other countries, what's happening in other places, uh, it's hard to know, but I think with social media, it's almost impossible not for this to in some way filter filter into your life that's my hope anyway and and as i say i found the students this year extraordinarily thoughtful and open and willing to explore things and the other thing i got them to do was to interview either their parents or a guardian or a grandparent or an elderly neighbor to find about their time to to interview them about their subcultures to interview them about any protest music or popular music they'd come across and as a historical exercise it 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 helped them enormously so 
you know, we just need to find ways to to create <laughs> create content they can consume. And, and, you know, acknowledge this is another way of consuming that maybe the way I did it in my time is different. So, you know, roll with the, the media as you, you started with, you know, look at those kinds of things. And like I say, some 19, 20 second TikToks that some of these students created were just superb. Yes. And, uh, and again, like that's, that's the thing. I, I, that's, I think that's the, that's the beautiful thing about social media, I think. Because obviously, you know, social media has its pros and cons, obviously not like, mm -hmm. know that, but I think the positive thing is, is that, you know, for example, last year, you know, with, uh, with the whole uh, George Floyd situation, uh, you know, mm -hmm. if, if people, you know, if that wasn't recorded and people didn't see, you know, the video, you know, it wouldn't be as big and, you know, the, the, the whole, um, Black Lives Matter movement might, might not have been as prominent as it was because of social media. So I definitely uh, understand that. And this is the point. I mean, that's what's critical. I mean, it's terrible because, you know, for every George Floyd that was recorded, we know that 20 others were not. But but that power, that sort of citizen, uh, not the bystander, but the citizen activist who can be part of that is absolutely huge. And there's something so visceral. It's an awful video to watch. And yet people do watch it and they see um, and, and it has an immediacy that's just horrific. And, you know, Black Lives Matter had a huge impact in Ireland specifically. And uh, we've seen um, an, an emergent generation here of um, uh, Black Irish creatives who are to the forefront of hip hop and spoken word and all kinds of activities and, you know, public intellectuals. And it's changing everything in such a, a positive uh, and all embracing way. And I just think, you know, we're, that's that's the, the route we're in and we just have to mind and guard against um, fascism. Yes. And, uh, and finally, just to... Uh, just to close this off, uh, what are you, mm -hmm. what are you currently working on now, and uh, what can people, uh, you know, uh, like what what can people expect to see from you in the future in terms of research and everything? So we will continue on with the strand with social protest work, and I'm also uh, kind of part of a group. We're looking at urban musical heritages and trying to, you know, look at soundscapes and things like that. But immediately, I'm in the uh, mid. Uh, way of a project called Festiversities. It's a European funded project across five countries in the EU looking at European music festivals, public spaces and cultural diversity. So we're looking at ways in which the idea of um, diversity is staged and managed and interpreted for all of the various ways that that can manifest. And we're also looking, of course, at the spaces of music festivi festivity and the encroachment upon those public spaces and really looking at policy around, I guess, live music and staging because uh, again, these things have been hit very much so by, um, by COVID and by the lockdown. And people have realized really that artistry and artists and the kind of all kinds of uh, production, all kinds of artistic production are so incredibly valuable. And within that, of course, then uh, there's still an element of always me wanting to have um, diversity, equity and inclusion um, uh, ethos underpinning all of that. So I'm not straying too far away in many ways, but continuing absolutely to work on protest and uh, to continue to interview people and, you know, amazing, amazing singers like Denise Chyla, uh, who is uh, really riding a wave at the moment and wonderful writers like Emma Dabiri, what white people can do next, um, are really showing the way in terms of young, dynamic, uh, creative black Irish women who are, um, yeah, who are doing extraordinary work. So I think their protest music will continue um, well into the future. And as part of that, then making sure that there's proper um, representation in music festival spaces and places and industry is, is key to all of that. 
Yes, and again, thank you very much for your time, and we look forward to seeing uh, how 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 all this turns out. All right, thank you, Emma. It was great to speak with you. Thank you.